Nitromaniacs, and welcome to another episode of Nitromania. This is a big one, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but this may be the biggest night in the history of our great sport. This is episode number 43, meaning there is one episode for each herb and spice in the popular Spanish liquor, Cuarenta y Tres. No idea where they got that name from. And this is, of course, the official podcast episode of one of the most famous race cars in the world, The King. This is, of course, our supersized bash at the beach episode. And I don't think anyone listening to this episode doesn't understand why that is such a big fucking deal. Now, last week, you may remember that I did not tell you who my special guest was going to be this week. And that's not just because at the time that I wrote that episode, I wasn't sure who was joining me this week. It's also because I feel that an event this monumental deserves the proper amount of discussion. And that amount of discussion cannot be had with just one guest. Oh, no. We're going to roundtable this bitch, is what I wrote when I wrote this episode two weeks ago. And then everybody fucking bailed on me. So joining me this week, all by his lonesome. Sal is here. I have returned to Nitromania! And what an episode to come back on. Boy, am I happy to be here. Well, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that someone was able to join me. It just would have been weird if I was doing this by myself. Um, welcome. Thank you. Uh, it's... Uh, Pleasure to have you again. This was a slightly better pay-per-view than the one you watched the last time. I would say so. Maybe. I would definitely say maybe it was a step up. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's dive right in. If you're if you're ready to dive right in, if you if you finished I, your ice cream dinner, okay. <laughs> I, I have some dustyisms I caught from the pay-per-view. Would you like me to read them now or later? Well, yeah. If you can remember when they happened, we can talk about them as they happened. Dustyisms are always welcome on Nitromania. I'll just throw them in where I think they went. It does kind of bum me out that, he only, that we only get them once a month, but uh, eh, maybe more than that would be too much. I find him highly entertaining on commentary. <laughs> maybe that's just me personally. Right. But... All right. It is Sunday, July 7th, my birthday, and we are live from Daytona Beach, Florida. We open with a video package of the hostile takeover that looks like it was filmed by pointing the camera at a television screen. By the way, there is no narration to this video. It is just video. 
We then go to the arena. Interesting way to open the show. This is the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. The last time we were here was May 6th for Nitro episode 34. You may remember that as the episode where Lex Luger didn't make it to the arena for his world title match against the Giant. So Jim Duggan took his place. Ladies and gentlemen, the total package Lex Luger has not arrived oh, in the no. arena as of yet. Hexaw Jim Duggan has offered to fill it in his spot. Uh, there have not been any other televised events from this arena in the last two months. Tony welcomes us in with all kinds of pyro. We are back to the three-man pay-per-view booth this month since Bobby is not coaching. Uh, Tony, Dusty, and Bobby. Dusty actually wearing a suit for Bash at the Beach. He's wearing a suit. All right. Uh, Bobby is also wearing a suit. It is a royal blue jacket over what looks like a Hawaiian shirt of some kind. All I know is that it is terrifically ugly. They all remind us that we don't know who the third man is, and it's time for your opening contest. Psychosis will be taking on Ray Mysterio Jr. During Psychosis's entrance, we get the monthly appearance of wrestling genius Mike Tanay. Why not just have him up there at the top of the show, then? Whatever. Mysterio offers the handshake to start and gets slapped in the face for his troubles. Tanay tells us that this is, quote, one of the most heated feuds in the history of Lucha Libre. Okay. If you say so, Tony. Or Tanay, whatever the fuck your name is. Uh, he then explains that in Mexico, the masked Lucha Libre wrestlers are like superheroes and compares them to Batman. Mysterio gets knocked out of the ring in psychosis, then hits a big suicide dive and nearly lives up to the name of it, basically driving himself headfirst into the barricade while taking out Ray. Tony tells us that no one knows where Eric Bischoff is, and he never misses a pay-per-view. So you remember that thing that we played last week of Eric Bischoff saying, I'll be at Bash at the Beach. He's not a bash at the beach. Anyway, uh, today then tells us that Mysterio's idol growing up was Scott Steiner. Uh-huh. That's not true. And that's why he, he doesn't even he didn't even fucking know who Steiner was. And that's please. why that's why he's perfected the Frankensteiner. I'm gonna Ugh. call horseshit on that, Mikey. Uh, we then get some fun spots on the ring apron as Mysterio basically monkey flips Psychosis into the ring pose into the pole rather for the silver dollar match later on. Can't wait for that. Uh, and then hits a diving Hurricane Rana on the floor. Later in the match, we get a diving Senton from the top rope to the floor that is ugly as fuck and really looks like it could have been legitimately injurious. Uh, I have to say, this match is a lot of really fun high spots with a lot of boring shit in between. Uh, Mysterio picks up the victory with a very cool reversal of a top rope crucifix bomb that Tanay calls a Niagara driver into yet another Hurricane Rana. I think this match suffered a little bit from maybe... Too much slowdown in between all the flippy shit, but overall, I'd say a very enjoyable match and a, certainly a good way to start the show. What did you think? It was good. It was definitely not as good as their ECW matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it interesting because WCW brought them here for this match, but then had them wrestle more of a slow-paced WCW style. Like you said, the flippy shit was all fun and great. Um, that sent on from the top turnbuckle to the outside looked dangerous as fuck. Yeah. And also, Mysterio completely missed the acai moonsault and nailed his knee off the friggin' guardrail. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did really like that finish when Psychosis went for the razor's edge into the... and then got her Karana, but I didn't like how they kept calling it a Frankensteiner. It was a little bit annoying. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like we talked about before the... All in all, a good opener. Definitely a good opener. Like we talked about a few weeks ago that uh, with Bill, that Frankensteiner-like maneuver. It's uh, just called Eric and Rana. Uh, we go backstage to Mean Gene. Pull up your socks and get ready. And Conan. Gene asks Conan to describe what just happened. Is that racist? Hey, you're Mexican. What do those Mexicans just do? <laughs> Conan, as enthusiastic as ever, just says what the moves were. Uh, Conan says basically that Flair is underestimating him, then threatens to hurt women and promises to leave with the championship. He also said that if Flair's manager got involved, he would cripple him. Who the fuck is Flair's manager? <laughs> uh, Tony says we don't have an update on Bischoff and enter Big Bubba. Unfortunately, this means it's time for the silver dollar match. <sighs> Fortunately, it means we're getting it over quickly. Uh, enter Tenta. Sadly, he did not leave his beard half-shaven. Also, sadly, he did not shave off his mustache. Uh, Wait, enter who? John Tenta. That looked like Jake Roberts to me, no? He looked like a fat Jake Roberts, I'm sorry. I, I, that's the first thing I thought. Is, wow, Jake really let himself go. You want to play 21? Uh, also, Big Bubba Biker Gay Bubba? Gay, I mean, what is it? What what is up with that? Yeah, gay biker Bubba. Yeah, got it. Completely unexplained. Uh, also, for the record, the uh, sack of silver dollars looks like a used condom on a pole. It well, it's a sock, I think. But the as a the this is your this is your typical item on a pole match, though the pole seems comically long. The the sock full of coins is at least eight feet above the top turnbuckle. I swear to God, I am not exaggerating. I would have paid thirty dollars to see Tenta try to get himself up there. <laughs> uh, Tenta starts off firmly on the offensive. Tenta eventually figures out that there's no way he'll be able to get to the top of the pole, and so tries to undo the the ties, the the, the tie downs that are holding the pole to the ring post. Legit, eight feet. Uh, Bubba stops this by just choking the life out of him with his belt. Bubba then tapes Tenta's arms to the middle rope. Well, one of his arms. Uh, he then wraps the belt around his fist, comes off the ropes, and KOs Tenta. He then whips Tenta with the belt, and then he chokes him again. Uh, then he goes to cut some more of Tenta's hair, because that's the point of this fucking thing. So Tenta punches him in the balls and then uses the scissors to cut the athletic tape. And then cut the ties for the pole. He gets one tie cut before Bubba recovers. Bubba hits a spine buster on Tenta, impressive, and then tells Jimmy to climb the pole. Yeah, fuck you, tiny man. Uh, which he does. While Jimmy is climbing, Tenta power slams Bubba and then waits for Jimmy. He takes the sock from Jimmy, pushes Jimmy off the ropes, clocks Bubba in the jaw, and then pins him for three. Then he dumps the half dollars onto Bubba. That wasn't as painful as it could have been, but certainly isn't anything that anyone's going to remember next week. No, uh, it's, it wasn't memorable, but, but there were a couple of... Uh funny spots as it were uh, i did enjoy when jimmy hart came down for the entire time he was on the pole and when he was on the turnbuckle he had no idea that big bubba had been knocked down and then all of a sudden john tenter was right there and shoved him although he should have shoved him down to the floor but i feel like jimmy would be dead at that point yeah probably um, I, it was it was a pretty good spot with him kind of hanging on and flailing out into out into space hanging on the pole my, there. my only critique because the match was what it was but why would you tease that uh, Tenta's going to use the scissors to cut down the pole? Because 
and then not go with that as the finish. Like, I felt like getting Jimmy to go up the pole was completely unnecessary. You could have just had Tenta cut down the pole, get the sock, and win the match that way. I don't know. I enjoy that that's your only question about this match. Well, I also like the fact that Bobby <laughs> Heenan pretty much gave away the entire match. He's, at the very beginning of the match, he's like, if I was there, I'd break my manager go up there and get it. <laughs> and then he also said, "What well, you need to tie his other hand together, and then he didn't, and then yeah. they hit Bobby in the nuts. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to the desk, Tony is wearing a lay. Tony begs Eric to call in and tell them where he is. I don't think that's how that works if you're a hostage. <laughs> Dusty Dusty says something. We can't help forgetting about what is going on here tonight. Yeah, that's true, Tony. When you get this far into a game, when you're this far into a match, or you're this far into an event, and then butterflies are taking over, you just want to get it over with. You want to get out and get after it. Our three guys are ready. The third guy, Bobby, as you know, you might not know, ask Woody who the third guy is, the guy that works for you. We need to find out, and, and sooner or later, we got we got to find out. They got to deal their hands. Gallman! You said, you said a gunman. Gallman. Still one of my favorite. the lady. They're the lady in the man's locker room. Uh, Bobby says he's asked everyone he knows, and no one knows who the third man is. Maybe it's still uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, we go back to Gene and Team WCW. Macho says he doesn't care who the third man is, because whoever it is, he's going to get hurt. Luger's... Oh! says they're prepared and actions speak louder than words and then sting reads a poem about the unknown you know what the unknown does mean gene the unknown gives me a real dry mouth the unknown makes me a nervous wreck the unknown puts chills right up and down my spine. I like that. That's good. the unknown gives me goosebumps all over my body and you know something it does the same thing to the macho man it does the same thing to the total package we are a team and we are pumped and ready weird but let's not forget that before Luger said that actions speak louder than words, Macho Man screamed at him to make his point. <laughs> Back to the arena, Tony echoes their pride in representing WCW, and it is time for the taped fist match for the Lord of the Ring ring. Uh, DDP puts tape on the camera during his entrance. I enjoy that. Uh, thankfully, Jim Duggan remembered to tape his fist before the match tonight. Duggan starts a USA chant, because that's all he's fucking got. And this makes DDP mad, because he's also from the United States? <laughs> anyway. As well, he's from Jersey, so take that for what you will. As you'd expect, this taped fist match starts with a headlock into an Irish whip and a shoulder block. DDP then tapes Duggan's ankles around the ring post. This lasts all of about a minute. Then the oh-so-fun seesaw spot on the ropes... Uh, DDP wins with a diamond cutter. Thankfully, Duggan, the sore loser, retapes his fist and KOs DDP. Fuck you, Duggan. Again, okay. Mer mercifully short. All right. So you, it, all right. You think I didn't have any problems with the Tenta versus Big Bubba <laughs> match? That was Brett versus Sean compared to this. All right. Let's start with this. DDP wraps. Duggan's legs around the pole in a tape fist match 
And then the referee cuts his legs off, like cuts the tape off his legs. Why? Was Why the, did he? Was the referee Nick Patrick? I don't remember. Daniel uh, Randy Anderson. They kind of look the same. <laughs> then DDP cuts the tape off of Duggan's fist. So, oh no, Duggan is nothing but an artard now because he <laughs> doesn't have tape fists anymore. <laughs> Beats him with the diamond cutter. Great. But then all of a sudden Duggan tapes his fist again. And oh, he's so bad and evil now because he's got tape fist. Give me a break. Seriously. What a bunch of garbage. It is. It's the dumbest fucking gimmick I've ever seen. And I've seen <sighs> and I've seen Eugene. Also, is DDP's selling as a heel a little bit too much? I like a little so. bit too comical and over the top? I don't think so. Oh, man, I don't know. Some of those bumps. Huh. Uh, we go backstage with Jimmy Hart and the Giant and Kevin Sullivan. How does every arena they visit have this same gray locker room? <laughs> Gene is convinced that the horsemen aren't going to let Giant into the ring tonight. Giant says he is more elite than any of the horsemen because he is the world champion. Meanwhile, Lee Marshall is in the aisle with Benoit and Anderson and Anderson's glasses. Anderson doesn't care who the third man is. He's nothing compared to the horsemen. And tonight, Sullivan and the Giant have no chance. Benoit calls himself silent but violent and says tonight they'll leave Sullivan for dead. Boy, that was a creepy interview, huh? Mm. In retrospect. To the ring for the four-man dog collar match. Oh, Christ. Public Enemy bring a table to the ring while Tony, Bobby, and Dusty def- discuss the definition of the word plunder. Then white people dance. During the Nasty's entrance, Tony again tells us that Bischoff is nowhere to be found. Uh, they then go brown to brown and blonde to blonde with the dog collars, and the match begins. Rocco and... Let's say Sags, I still don't know which one is which, do absolutely nothing while Grunge and probably Knobs have a tug of war. A, a tug of war. Uh, then they all end up outside the ring and we get the patented worthless WCW split screen. Sags crotches Rocco on the guardrail in the aisle with a weak ass punch to the ribs while Knobs and Grunge fight in the sand. And then this blistering piece of offense. And now they have the shock. That's a rubber shark. A man just beat him with a rubber shark. He's beating a man with a rubber shark. An inflatable rubber shark. Remember yeah. this one. We've seen a first here. Uh, Sags starts beating Rocco with a surfboard. Rocco comes off the lifeguard stand with a senton. At one point, Sags suplexes a table in the left box onto Rocco in the right box. This is utter garbage. We end up back in the ring. Rocco lays Sags on a table, then goes up top, but Sags uses the chain to pull and also somehow flip Rocco into the ring and onto the table, which doesn't break. So they try another spot, uh, and it still doesn't break. Sal is leaving. Knobs hangs Grunge over the top rope, and Sags whips Rocco into the chain and pins him for three. After the match, Public Enemy beat up the Nasty Boys. Sal has left. Um, he's probably taking a shit or something. And hold for edit. Sal's back, putting his headphones back in. Does another. Rip- hey, buddy. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to open the door because nobody else is on. It's all right. I'll edit most of that out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dog collar match. So, public enemy wins, loses. Oh, fuck, I remember. Well, they lost because. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Sags Sags pinned Rocco because because of, of the clothesline. Yeah, I was going to say, they crushed his trachea. (laughs) 
with but, a friggin' steel steel dog collar but, to his neck. But they still got to beat him up, so. That's a good point. Oh, this was the match that Dusty said that thing. Where he says... <laughs> You're gonna have to be a little more specific than that. <laughs> Dusty says, They have beat each other until they can barely walk. I said, Barry walk? Who's Barry Wong? And even Heenan was like, but who? What? What are you saying? I speak English. All right. We go backstage to Gene to keep talking about how Bischoff isn't here and how Gene will sue if one of the outsiders touches him. There are four security guards blocking the hallway to the outsiders locker room. Uh, Gene talks about how tense it is backstage and not much else. Uh, back to the ring. It is cruiserweight. Title time, Disco Inferno versus Dean Malenko. During Disco's entrance, we get a close-up of the Disco ball. It is not spinning. Malenko comes to the ring with murder in his eyes, and he slaps the taste out of Disco's mouth, chucks him out of the ring, and beats his ass on the outside. Back in the ring, and Dean beats his ass in the ring as well. Uh, a wicked brain buster by Malenko gets a two-count. After a good while, Disco goes on offense and starts laying into Malenko. We end up outside again, and Malenko goes back on offense. At one point, Malenko has Disco in some kind of crucifix arm lock situation, and Disco flops like a fish to get a toe on the ropes to break the hold. Disco then gets Dean in the corner and just lays a series of elbows into his dome piece. Uh, across, Malenko avoids the charge, but Disco counters the offense into a swinging neckbreaker that gets a one count thanks to a foot on the ropes, an Irish whip, and another neckbreaker that gets a two count because he paused to dance. Disco counters the cloverleaf into a small package for two. A wicked clothesline gets a two for Disco. Dean blocks a hip toss and gets a clothesline of his own. He gets some good back and forth, which leads to a butterfly powerbomb into the Texas cloverleaf. And Dean Malenko retains his cruiserweight championship. I really enjoyed that match. It was a good match. Um, I didn't enjoy the commentary trying to hype up the fact that Disco was having this internal struggle with, should I dance or should I go for the pin on each move? <laughs> I mean, yes, Disco looked much better here than he has in previous weeks, uh, much more aggressive at certain points. Dean Malenko's a fucking machine. I mean, he was the cyborg way before Kurt Angle was the cyborg. Wait, Dean Malenko's a fucking machine? Well, no, that no, that no, was that a was, different angle they tried was, later on. That was Lance Storm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Malenko was, was on point here. Yeah, I mean, he just beat disco to hell like pretty much i love the way how he got the cloverleaf on in the end that was great yes i'm very much enjoying dean malenko uh here uh all right i hope he keeps that cruiserweight championship for a while give him a nice long run uh (laughs) it is time for the real main event everybody fuck that third man bullshit it is time for joe gomez versus steve mongo mcmichael uh during mongo's entrance we get a shot from crab cam not lying (laughs) <laughs> crab cam uh, all right it's time to see what so, mongo's actually got i had to i had to look up who joe gomez was but even <laughs> wikipedia was like he's, he's joe gomez he's, he's a guy he's a, he's a guy who did a thing uh turns out Moksha, Ma, uh, mongo's not actually got much uh this match is ugly as fuck uh mongo finishes the match with a tombstone pile driver this yeah, fucking spiked them <laughs> was not good Mongo, uh, probably better in the ring, though, than some people who are on WWE TV right now. I'm just saying. (laughs) (sighs) We go backstage with Gene. He's with Flair, Elizabeth, and Woman. Flair promises to beat Conan for the U.S. title tonight and Giant for the world title tomorrow night. Flair then says Conan is is a man with a thousand holds. That's 
That's someone else. That's Malenko, Rick. <laughs> Gene uh, then asks the women about the party they're throwing, and Gene invites himself to the party because he is a creep. With that, Gene said, invites himself, but woman is all about Gene tonight. Yeah, Gene's getting all types uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Unhand me, woman. Uh, it is U.S. title time. Conan has graduated from ugly poncho to horrendous jacket. Uh, he is not wearing the goofy knot mask on his head. Um, I do not envy, by the way, whatever crew has to clean up all that sand in the entrance area. Uh, Flair starts off by asking for a handshake. Conan eventually accepts, and they just shake hands. Nothing shady by Flair. Weird. Uh, Conan starts off on the offensive. Still one end, by the way. Conan with one end. Uh, While woman shrieks, because that's all she fucking does. Conan is actually selling Flair's offense, so that makes me think that Flair may actually win. Uh, Conan then no-sells Flair's shit and just punches him in the face. Conan then dives off the apron onto Flair and takes out Elizabeth, too. What a dick. Uh, Woman then somehow knocks Conan off the top rope by shaking the bottom rope. I don't think that's how physics works. Side note, when Conan jumped off the apron and hit Elizabeth, did she have some type of uh, a wardrobe malfunction there? I don't know. Uh, It seemed like she was grabbing at her dress and the camera was very quick to try to cut her out of the shot. (laughs) Uh, fuck was I? There we go. Uh, they know sell each other. Flair pokes Conan in the eye. Nick Patrick chides Flair, then looks at Woman on the apron for no discernible reason, and then just goes back to scolding Flair so that Woman can come in the ring and kick Conan straight in the balls. Uh, Elizabeth then distracts Nick on the other side so Flair can toss Conan over the top rope to the floor, which is probably not going to be a disqualification anyways, and Woman can choke him. Then a big stalling vertical suplex gets a series of two counts. Conan eventually puts Flair into the figure four. Flair makes it to the ropes, and Nick Patrick kicks Flair's hand off the rope for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, what the fuck was up with that Flair, Flair grabs the ropes again and patrick breaks the hold what the fuck nick patrick i feel like he's i so, hate you rick flair i hate you i feel like he's so used to rick flair cheating that he just saw a figure four and flair's hands on the ropes went hey 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 knock that off exactly so he did it again and went, oh oh wait right you're you're on defense okay right 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 right, right. <laughs> Uh, Flair heads up top, it goes about as well as you'd expect, and then a bulldog gets a two-count. Elizabeth hops on the, apron, on the apron to grab Nick Patrick, while Woman hops up on the opposite side. We wait forever to, for them to actually get to the spot where Woman hits Conan with her shoe, very weakly, I might add, and Flair pins Conan with his feet on the top rope for three. Your winner and the new United States champion, Ric Flair. So Nick Patrick, so concerned with Ric Flair grabbing the rope while he was getting the figure four, that he completely ignores Flair standing up almost vertically on his head with his feet on the top rope to get the pin. Are you serious right now? Nick Patrick is the dumbest of asses. Also, I don't know what you're talking about, because when Flair went up to the top rope, I was convinced he was going to do like a missile dropkick or something. (laughs) Uh, we go back to Mean Gene and a purple door that says Restricted Access. It is apparently the Outsider's Locker Room. Where'd the cops go? Uh, Gene says he's been eavesdropping, dick, and they've been joined <laughs> by a third man. He says he kind of recognizes the third man's voice, but he can't place it. He says it's too muffled, but it makes something jump in his subconscious. Bobby then tells Gene to bribe the police officers, and Gene almost does it. 
<laughs> he did. He was thinking about it for a second. Mm-hmm. With two matches left in the night, it is time for the tag team grudge match between the Horsemen and the Dungeon. Uh, the Dungeon attack during the entrance of Anderson and Benoit. Mongo appears and hits Giant with the briefcase, and Giant chases Mongo to the back. Oh, so that's how we get rid of the Giant. That makes sense. Anderson and then Benoit beat the hell out of Sullivan. The bell rings as Jimmy Hart brings the Giant back to the ring. Way to play up that suspense, guys. <laughs> the Horsemen start by doing everything they can to keep Sullivan in their half of the ring. Finally, Sullivan manages to tag the Giant, and then suddenly there's no one in the ring. Uh, Benoit takes Sullivan all the way down the aisle to, and to the commentary position while Giant and Anderson fight in the ring. Giant pins Anderson with the choke slam as Sullivan chokes Benoit on the commentary stage. Anderson begins to head back to the ring, and Benoit comes flying in with a clothesline that takes out a palm tree. Uh, he hits Anderson with a chair, and we go back to come back. That's probably not Anderson. That's probably Sullivan. Um, I don't know why I typed Anderson there. I was typing fast. He hit Sullivan with it. I'm going to guess that Chris Benoit did not hit Arn Anderson with a chair. Uh, anyway, no, he we hit go, Sullivan with a chair. We go back to the ring other. with commentary guessing that they don't realize the match is over. That's what they get for going all the fucking way to commentary. A uh, woman then appears. For some reason, she begs Benoit to stop until Giant returns to the ring, screaming at Benoit and woman. That's weird. Uh, <sighs> this was an all right match with a kind of a stupid finish. Um, if the big thing is that if the Horsemen win, they get a world title match against the Giant, why the hell would they leave? Why was why would Benoit leave Anderson, Arn Anderson alone with the Giant? So what they're doing, and and I've been following along for the past few weeks, they're trying to build up this like blood hatred between Sullivan and Benoit, but it just kind of came off as really disjointed. It kind of looked like Benoit just left Anderson to get killed by the right, giant. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I didn't care much for it. It was, it was sloppy as fuck. Uh, I mean, obviously Sullivan, Anderson, they can work. You know, they're working for ten years at this point, but. I, I just didn't care. If it, you know, you should have had every horseman out there if the point was to try to get Ric Flair a title shot. That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like I said in the beginning, that they really played up that suspense of having Mongo take out the giant and having the giant just immediately return to the ring. Yeah, he came back within oh, like well, thirty seconds. Fuck you. Oh no, he's the giant. There so he is. who cares? <laughs> what did Mongo throw him off the roof? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we get a video package about the hostile takeover. Again, just footage and music with no commentary, no voiceover. This video package is really long. Uh, we then go to the ring for Michael Buffer. I enjoy that he splits outsiders into two words. Uh, we get a nice close one-shot of Buffer during his entire intro speech. He really could not give a shit. Uh, the Outsiders enter to the pay-per-view theme song. Uh, Buffer apologizes that there are only two Outsiders coming to the ring. Uh, Gene then appears. He whispers something to Buffer and then takes the microphone. He demands to know who the third man is. Hall says all we need to know is that the third man is here and he's ready. Nash confirms that the guy is here, but right now they can handle it on their own. Team WCW enters to Sting's theme song while videos of their confrontation with the Outsiders from last week's Nitro airs on the big screen. Someone in production pushes the wrong button and sets off every piece of pyro at the entrance as they walk to the ring. Uh, Hall starts... <laughs> that was not an accident. That was not the purpose. 
Paul starts with Luger, and Luger just straight up slaps him. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Before before we t- start the match, Mount. a couple things I want to say about Michael Buffer. <laughs> okay, I thought you were going to say a couple things about Dusty Rhodes, but go ahead. Well, before we even get to Michael Buffer, Dusty, Ro- Dusty Rhodes says, there's a drama in the air. You can feel it. I feel it's hanging there like lead, which I didn't know lead hung, but that's okay. Second of all, if I'm David Penzer, or even David Michael Capetta, I'm fucking bullshit. They're yeah. giving Buffer like a million just to show up and call and, and do one fucking ring announcement at the main event. Gary Michael That's Capetta. garbage. <laughs> Gary Michael Capetta. Gary Michael Capetta, that's right. Gary Michael Capetta and David Penzer. Forgive me. Outsiders. But, yeah, and then he doesn't even, like, he's not worth the fucking money. No, he's not. Absolutely like, I'm not. I'm so glad Triple H started uh, incorporating his intro into the DX intro like a year or so later because it, it deserves to be made fun of. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, he's really not. Um, <sighs> also, okay. how genius that they don't bring out the third man. You know, it makes a liar out of Shivani because he says that we by 10 o'clock we would know who the third man was, and I guarantee you at this point in the pay-per-view, <laughs> way past 10. And second of all, uh, it, it still keeps that suspense. So, no, no, we're not going to walk out without third guy. You're going to have to wait. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, as I said, Hall starts with Luger, and Luger just straight up slaps him in the face. The Outsiders take advantage, and because they are the good guys, Team WCW straight up uses the numbers to their advantage. Uh, suddenly Luger is somehow unconscious on the outside, making it two on two. The EMTs bring out a stretcher, and it turns out that Sting killed Luger by splashing Nash. Oh my god, they killed Luger! Why, why am I not surprised that it's Luger that gets taken out immediately? Lazy, <laughs> lazy fuck. Finally, they name Hall and Nash. Uh, they say their names on, on television. Um... Uh, Hall slaps Sting in the face, and Sting goes, fucking bug nuts. Macho tags in and goes for the top, but gets a fist to the gut for his troubles. A clothesline by Macho gets a two count, and Hall tags out. Savage tries to avoid an elbow drop and breaks his goddamn neck. Uh, Macho immediately tags out. Tony thinks they should go completely against the spirit of the match by bringing out one of the three guys who wasn't selected for the team to fill in for Luger. Uh, Nash hits Sting with a big boot, and I'm pretty sure Tony just yelled, Foot! Gotta do something! He did. Uh, how can we be sure that this referee is going to be fair? Wouldn't he want WCW to win? Prove me wrong, Randerson. Prove me wrong. Uh, Sting finally gets the hot tag to Savage, and the crowd goes absolutely mental. Savage cleans house until Nash hits a low blow, 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 blow and everyone's down. The crowd goes nuts as Hulk Hogan comes to the ring. Bobby Heenan is the only one who understands what's going on, uh, which is perfect, by the way. Bobby Bobby's screaming, but whose side is he on? And Shivani going, what are you talking about? Perfect. Uh, he stands over Macho as Hall and Nash clear the ring. Hogan leg drops Macho, which Randerson sells much better than Macho. Then leg drops him again. Nash tosses Sting. Hogan tosses Randerson to the disgust of Shivani. Hits a third leg drop and pins Macho for the three, as counted by Scott Hall. Tony refuses to acknowledge the three count by acknowledging the three count. Twice. Uh, And then they celebrate as Sting drags Macho's dead body from the ring. 
Tony drops uh, 94, saying this must date back that far, because that's when Hogan came to the company. And the ring fills with garbage. Uh, Oakland hesitantly gets in the ring. Enjoy. Hulk Hogan, excuse me, excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. I have been with you for so many years. For you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group, you've got to be kidding me. Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north and everybody was wondering who the third man was well who knows more about that organization than me brother i've been there i've done that you have made the wrong decision in my opinion well let me tell you something i made that organization a monster i made people rich up there i made the people that ran that organization rich up there brother and when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then, billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And Billionaire Ted promised me world-caliber matches. And as far as Billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling brother and not only are we gonna take over the whole wrestling business with hulk hogan and the new blood the monsters with me we will destroy everything in our path mean gene look at all of this crap in this ring this is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man hall and this man Nat. as far as i'm concerned all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't 
for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny-come-latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the New World Organization of Wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the New World Organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Such a good fucking promo. And that is it. We get another shot of Hall and Nash raising Hogan's hands high. It's a fun little uh, alliteration for you. And then uh, the credits. Uh, please note some of the visual things that don't come across on the podcast, including Hall and Nash doing Hogan poses in the background, Oakland getting pegged with something early on in the promo, and the absolute never-ending shower of garbage. Uh, also of note, Hogan's bright yellow cowboy boots. To be fair, to be fair, Hogan does bring up a lot of valid points in this promo. Also, uh, he but he then goes on to get New World Order right the first time, and then fuck it up the second time, and the third time saying New World Organization. Uh, also of note, in the credits, we still get the nice freeze on Eric's name at the end, despite him not having been there all day and no one knows where he is. Um... Now, to be fair, I understand why this pay-per-view is so ingrained as one of the most monumental of all time. But really, other than the main event, other than that last moment and the opening match and maybe the U.S. title match, there wasn't there wasn't a lot here to me to write home about. Am I wrong? Okay, well, let me ask you a question. When I, when I mention Bad Blood 1997, what instantly goes to your mind? Bad Blood is the uh, is the Hell in a Cell, is the debut of King, right? Um, so there are there are definitely certain shows in the history of wrestling that that just one moment makes that show you know legendary. Right, the death of Brian Pillman. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that Bash of the Beach was a bad pay per view, especially considering some of the pay per views you've made me watch on this feed. Um, but obviously the the earth shattering moment was was Hogan. Uh, you know, Hogan's heel turn, essentially. Right. right. Uh, him joining with these outsiders, like they would, no. came from fucking Mexico or something. No. They're outsiders. <laughs> now, I will say this. For all the shit that I give WCW, I will give them credit on how they built the match. You took one guy out immediately, so that it becomes a two-on-two situation. Yep. You built to the hot tag, so that the crowd exploded when Savage got in there. Yep. And then Nash with the double, you know, fists right up into the junk. That was great. So that when Hogan comes out, you think, well, he's coming out there because Sting, Sting is practically dead. Oh, sure. And and Savage just got, you know, clocked in the nuts. And I remember watching this live because I went over to my cousin's house because we all wanted to see who the third man was. Right. And we thought, oh, here we go. Hogan's going to start a feud with Hall and Nash, and those are going to be like the next three pay-per-views. This is so dumb. Right. Yeah, if, if I had not you know, known going into this you know, what was going to happen, if I was watching this in 96, I, I probably, probably would have done the exact same thing. Like, oh, here comes Hogan to save the day. Right. 
And, and, and um, he does, but not quite. <laughs> when, when when Bobby says, you know, whose side is he on? It does make you think for a second, like, oh, oh shit. Like, nah. um, I got to say, though, uh, I did appreciate Tony Schiavone almost having a heart attack when Hogan goes for the first leg drop. Because he goes, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he, like, he lost his balance in his chair. Yeah. And like I said, the, the Bobby, I think Bobby being the one to call that out, I think was absolutely perfect. Oh, absolutely. Because then he goes, yeah, I've been telling you guys this for 20 years. <laughs> um, as I'm, you know, a little bit older and a little bit more jaded than I was in 1996, I'm starting to wonder if the people throwing trash in the ring were plants. Because there was a lot of people cheering when he hit the Macho Man with the leg drop. I don't. I, I don't think it was plants. I think what it probably was was just groupthink, where some people started throwing shit, and other people was like, well, "I'm gonna fucking throw shit." <laughs> let me see. Let me see if I can hit Mean Gene in the head with this soda bottle. Also, the and then fact... I think, and then I think from there because because uh, as everyone is aware of from the famous clips online of people getting beamed. It is something that just continues to happen forever. Oh, yeah. So I think, oh, for, yeah. I think, I think at bash the beach, it started spontaneously. And like I said, a lot of everybody just kind of picked up on it and was like, well, he's throwing shit. I want to throw shit. Uh, and then from there it became, who can I hit? Do you think I right. can hit Nash with this, uh, with this Coke can? Who, do, who can I hit? It became Coke can, beer, popcorn, everything you get your fucking hands on. Um, I, I will say that if uh, Hogan's heel turn was shocking, his promo was fucking beautiful. Yes, that's why that's why I included the entire thing here. Yeah, he he definitely brought up some very valid points, and the fact that he made a lot of people up there up north rich—he's not kidding. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Right, and I I do also appreciate Gene Oakland's quick response of yeah, I've been there, I've done that, like you know, moving on type of thing. Yeah, and I think I think Gino did a did a very good job of selling it as well. Uh, you, there's the, there's that look of of him where he's like, do I do I get in the ring? Do I do I really do I really want to do this right now? So I think uh, really that and there's a reason that this is such. A, a monumental moment. I think it really was played out perfectly by by everyone involved. They, I mean, including going back to you know the whole lead up to this when when Hall first appeared, when Nash first appeared, where you know with them spending the last what was it? Uh, this was this is July. It was in May. So basically the last month and a half building up to this. Who is the third man? Who is the secret guy? We're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you. Oh hey, it's Hogan. Um, I really think that that this there's there's a reason that this is one of the one of the most uh, one of the most iconic angles in in professional wrestling history. And credit to them for who they chose for the three people. You know, we got a list of six a couple episodes ago on Nitro, and they chose uh, Luger, who's kind of been a tweener since he's came back from the WWF. Yeah. People haven't really known his intentions, so the for him to get taken out early made the most sense. Then you choose I, Hogan's best friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then of course the franchise. Right. It made perfect sense. Right. I I was honestly thinking uh, a little while ago that if if I hadn't, you know, obviously 
you know, going into it at this point, we know who it's going to be. If I hadn't, if I was, you know, back then, if I hadn't known that it was Hogan, I probably honestly would have guessed probably Luger to be the guy. Because Luger made that shocking appearance on the first episode of Nitro. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, including so, so much as, uh, if it was Bischoff on commentary going, what is he doing here? It kind of, it kind of mirror, well, I guess Hall would have mirrored Luger, but it, it kind of was the same, the same kind of feeling of, right. Hey, that guy, d- that guy doesn't work here. Does that guy work here now? Like, so, and so yeah, I and think, don't, don't think for a second that they didn't play up the visual of, Okay, there's no third guy supposedly, but we have two guys that were just in the WWF two years ago teaming with Sting. Right. Like, right. like at any given point, I I was expecting one of them to just turn on Sting. Sure. Um, yeah. This... But I will say this, and this is a very <laughs> funny little side story. My one of my older cousins had a friend who supposedly called called like the hotline that week. And the only thing that they were able to find out was that it was a former WWF champion. Now, at the time, because they were doing nothing with them, there was a legit rumor that it was going to be that we thought it was Yokozuna. Well, we talked about it on uh, one of the episodes a while back. It might have been the one with with Martin, where where you know, in a few, it was like there was like two or three weeks in a row where during during Luger matches, Bischoff put over the fact that. The that forearm, that metal plate in the forearm, took out Yokozuna, and I'm like, right. why are you name dropping Yokozuna on WCW television? Yep, yep. Uh, and, so and, they, and so they certainly could have been trying to push for him to come into the company. I don't think it would have been this spot. Uh, I absolutely don't think that Yokozuna would have been in the New World Order, but no, I mean in retrospect, it, it doesn't make any sense. But at the time, we were like, well, who else could it be? <laughs> Um, and I will say this, if anybody had even thought to bring up Hogan in 96, me and all my friends had instantly shot that down. Yeah. They'd never lose the money on that. Same reason why people say Cena don't turn here. So for it to be Hogan, it definitely shocked the wrestling world. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed with how they followed up because I remember the next night's Nitro a little bit differently. So I guess I'm combining <laughs> Nitros. <laughs> But uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. On uh, on Cage Match, the show has an 8.33 out of 10. I, I hesitate to call that overrated because it was uh, so earth-shattering with the main event there, but uh, was it really an 8.33? I don't think I'd go that high. No, maybe, I'd probably maybe give it a, a 6.5, maybe was, a 6.8. I was going to say maybe a low 7, maybe a low to mid 7. I don't know if I'd give it an 8. But, you uh, still had things like DDP and Taxar on this pay per view. Well, and I don't think again. Again, we're we're big fans of Hacks of DDP on this show, but you can certainly take points off of any show that features Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But not only that, the the Horseman match with Giant and Sullivan it wasn't good in my opinion. It could have been so much better. I got the ring. I found it in the toilet. <laughs> <sighs> You could tell, just listening back to that uh, to that episode last week, you could tell that Mean Gene was just so fucking sick of that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you found it in the toilet. Now, on the pay-per-view, you're going to be facing DDP. Oh, that's right, DDP! Oh, you got to take a piss or something? Yeah, we got to hold for a radio edit. I'm back. 
Okay, good. Uh, by the way, you might want to take a second and look at the uh, picture that Troy put up in the host thread. Titties. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add before we move on to Nitro? Um, just a couple of quick dustyisms from the pay per view because you, you got to throw those in there. I mean, at one point during uh, the what they call it the hostile takeover match, which was a little bit much. Savage went on offense and Dusty's screaming, Who be bad now? Who be bad now? Let me get some this. Who's bad now? Who bad? Who be bad now? That's right. You tell him, Dream. Back in the corner. Who be bad now? The purpose of Savage. Who be like bad now? Who be bad now? Who be bad now? Deal on him, brother. <laughs> uh, during Mongo's match, he kicked uh, Joe Gomez in the nuts. And Dusty said, and then he mule kicked him in the groan right there. That thought was hilarious. And then at some other point, he said he was a gagging for air. He's gagging, gagging for air. Which reminded me of Garmin. <laughs> you said a gunman. Garmin. Uh, <laughs> all right. So it is Monday, July 8th, 1996, and we are live from the Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida. Not to spoil anything for you, but we are here at Disney MGM for the next five weeks of Nitro. And it's not like... Oh, that makes more sense now. Yeah, and it's not like Raw, where they taped five weeks of Nitro all at once, as Eric Bischoff has stated numerous times. They are live each and every week, except for Christmas. They apparently just took a vacation to Disney World for a month. Uh, Tony reminds us that last night was one of the most shocking, most startling, most disappointing, most disheartening events in the history of professional wrestling. In our, in our two, we'll get pictures of what Hogan did last night. Zabisco calls it disgusting and says it was an act of unmitigated manliness that he's not even going to comment on. I probably said unma- unmanliness, whatever. Uh, Larry, I hate to tell you, that was a comment. <laughs> we get some photos from last night. Rey Mysterio and Psychosis and Malenko and Disco. Tonight, Rey will face Malenko for the Cruiserweight title to open the show. Mysterio enters wearing his dad's jacket with the big golden eagle on the back. Tony tells us to call everyone we know who might know who Hulk Hogan is and tell them to tune in for hour two. (laughs) Even if they aren't wrestling fans, call them if they know the name Hulk Hogan. About about that. We'll get to that. They do some flippy shit and Ray ends up outside the ring, and I can't help but notice the lack of any kind of barricade between the fans sitting at ringside and the ring itself. Uh, Tony apologizes for some comments he made last night. I can't remember anything he said that would need to be apologized for. He said, Uh, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. (laughs) Literally Um, what he said. I contemplate how it's possible for it to still be this light out in Orlando at 8 p.m. in July as Malenko hits a vicious brain buster on Ray on on the mats outside. That only gets a two count when they end up back in the ring. Mysterio, Hurricane Rana's Malenko over the top rope, and then as Tony ponders a disqualification, completely misses a dive and belly flops onto the concrete. Malenko is kind enough to fall over anyway, Jinder Mahal style. Back in the ring, another Hurricane Rana gets a two count, then Malenko gets two near falls by pulling Mysterio's shoulder up himself. This ultimately leads to his downfall as Malenko, uh, sorry, as Mysterio counters a backbreaker with another Hurricane Rana and grabs the legs for the pin. Your new cruiserweight champion, 12-year-old Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> We get a shot of the crowd, specifically some guy cheering with a puppet of the genie from Aladdin. Not joking. And then the replays, and Tony sends us to Gene. What would you think of the Cruiserweight title match? It was good. Uh, I did enjoy it. 
I gotta ask you though, has Dean been portraying a heel on the show? Because uh, pu- uh, pulling the shoulder up just seemed he's he's always so you know business. I, it, pulling the shoulder up to dish out more punishment just seemed like uncharacteristic he's, of him. He he's the Ice Man. Yeah, it just I don't know. It it kind of took me out of it a little bit because it's not like. It was Benoit doing it, or, or somebody who was a heel previously. Yeah. Um, good for Mysterio. Uh, you're right; he does look like he's 12 years old at this point. Um, obviously, one of the fastest cruiserweights at this point in, in 1996. Sure. But um, uh, I feel like his promo skills at this point would probably be similar to Kalisto. Yeah. So I yeah, wouldn't we, have put the title on him. Right we uh, we covered that a, a week or two ago. Uh, would you would you think of the genie puppet? It's Disney, man. That shit's all, that shit's everywhere. <laughs> uh, Gene is in the locker room with the Steiners and the Nasty Boys, who will be facing each other tonight to determine a number one contender for Hogwild. See if you can figure out what Rick Steiner says here. I don't think it's nasty, Bill. Come down to the dog pile and get down where it gets real nasty, boy. You see, my nose is to the ground. I smell him. I smell the heat. I'm coming after you, boys. Do you sound I got you. Nasty boys, you're getting away. It's just something ain't going to be personal. That whole segment was strange. So, speaking of things that you may be aware of that I'm not aware of coming in as a guest on this show, does Scott Steiner treat Rick like a dog all the time? Does he, like, hand him little doggy treats and, like, pat his head and stuff? Ooh, that's a good Rick Steiner. Oh. <laughs> Who's a good gremlin? Who's a good dog face gremlin? Because he was doing that while he was yelling at the nasty boys. It was a little bit disconcerting. If you're a good boy, you might get to sleep in the house tonight. <laughs> uh, Glacier promo, nothing new. They've removed the July 1996 tag from the end. So Lord knows when the fuck he's showing up. Tony tells us to order the Bash at the Beach encore tomorrow night as the sun sets on Orlando. Enter Hugh Morris and Big Gay Bubba. They are facing the Blue Bloods, Lord Stephen Regal and Squire David Taylor. Before the match, we get photos from the Silver Dollar match. So, wait. Who are the good guys here? (sighs) (laughs) Apparently, it's the dungeon because the crowd chants USA against the Blue Bloods. Uh, John Tenta appears and tears Bubba off the ring. Jimmy Jett does nothing about this. Squire David Taylor pins Hugh Morris, and the Blue Bloods are your winners, despite the obvious outside interference. Uh. Psychosis debuts on Nitro, despite already having been on Nitromania twice. Next. What do you think of the tag match? So, we complain all the time in present day about... Um, the WWE leaving storylines on the table and not tying up loose ends. So what is the Dungeon of Doom at this point? Like, they're not the same cartoonish guys that come out of the green smoke anymore. <laughs> they're just like Big Gay Bubba and like Humorous. That That's the Dungeon and, of Doom. And the Giant. Uh, yeah, well, kinda. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, and... Um... Also, I thought Regal was a singles competitor. Wasn't he just fighting, like, uh, Fit Finley a couple months ago in these crazy matches, and now he's in a tag team? He's still part of the Blue Bloods, though. They're a stable. It's Lord Stephen Regal, Squire David Taylor, uh, Earl Earl Robert Robert. Eaton. It's a stable when they feel like it's a stable. And Chives. (laughs) Chives. 
It's a stable when Sting's not calling him. Never mind. I won't go there. Mm, you little prissy. <laughs> uh, this Saturday night, the Dungeon of Doom, the Macho Man, the Horseman, and more. Uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Psychosis is your match. They're both already in the ring, jobbers. We go to the split screen to Rey Mysterio talking about Hulk Hogan being the third man. If you watched this and you weren't sure right away what he was talking about, neither was I, because they started the video in the middle of the goddamn promo. That was great. <laughs> uh, Psychosis crotches himself on the bottom rope, and Tony starts talking about the differences between performing outside like they are here and inside an arena. And Larry busts out this combination anatomy and meteorology lesson. Well, let, let me say this. We are obviously outdoors, and the humidity factor, as you know, in the summertime months in Florida, very, very high. Therefore, you've got to prepare maybe Larry a little bit differently than you would inside. Well, not really. Even inside an arena... What you want to do is you're going to get sweaty. When human bodies get sweaty, they slip. So uh, you've got to get snug. You've got to make sure before you hit a move, you've got the right positioning. Otherwise, you're more likely to slip off. Outside in humidity, it's just going to happen faster. So you got to be ready to be quick off the bat. They do a spot on the floor and start working an injury angle on Guerrero's right shoulder. We then get another fun game of is it racist? Take it away, Larry. He looked out. This is the type of competition that has made the Cruiserweight division. What is keeping his kid going? One of the most exciting in our sport. I don't know, but boy, he popped up that time, didn't he? Jalapenos? I don't think so. Eddie wins shortly thereafter with a frog splash. Jalapenos, really? I can... Ugh. Uh, that was... That was an all right match. Well... <laughs> well, yes, Larry. Larry Zabisco is a racist, but uh, the match itself was okay. Um, I feel like uh, a lot of these Eddie Guerrero matches that we're seeing recently don't uh, don't live uh, don't seem to live up to what they could be. No, what Eddie needs and what he will get soon on this program is Steroids? a little bit of no, no that oh, that comes that comes later. Yeah, uh, a little bit of character. He, he's going to get a little bit mean. He's going to get a little bit nasty. Not, He's going to get that Latino heat, is what you're saying? Yes, and that's going to change a lot of things about Eddie. Yeah. Uh, back to Gene, who is with Jimmy, Kevin Sullivan, and the Giant in the aisle. You can tell this Hogan thing is serious because, A, Jimmy uses his real voice, and, B, he's speechless. Kevin Sullivan seems more upset that Hogan killed Hulkamania himself instead of them being able to do it. Giant, I wanted to kill it! <laughs> I'll kill my creation! Uh, Giant promises that nothing will go wrong as long as he's world champion. Uh, he then says that last night the horsemen won the battle, but they didn't win the war. Except that they didn't win the battle. Giant won the ba whatever. <laughs> uh, back from break for the tag contender match, the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers. We get these stupid little dynamite because it's so goddamn important that time exists. Sags steals a chair from a child, and Zabisco does make me laugh, saying, Sags just nailed Scotty Steiner, and now he's going hit, to hit him with a kid. <laughs> uh, needless Pyro, although far less than usual, takes us to Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan as they join the match in progress. Eric and Heenan talk seriously about Hogan while they show us Parker and Sherry arguing in the entrance. Parker heads to ringside, clocks Sags with his cane or something, and Scott pins him to become number one contenders. Hooray. I don't understand why Colonel Parker and Sister Sherry have suddenly reappeared from the abyss. Okay. So, first of all, I did enjoy the Steins versus the Nasty Boys. I thought it was physical. I thought it was hard-hitting. Um, 
I feel like somebody missed the button at nine o'clock or eight o'clock rather, because it, it or maybe it was oh yeah it's no, nine yeah. nine's the second hour because it just like one firework went off I was like <laughs> like usually there's this whole explosion of like ten thousand fireworks and um, as far as Colonel and the other thing too you you build up this where is Bischoff. And then we don't even see him. We just literally hear his voice at nine o'clock. And they don't fucking talk about it. No, and he makes very, very small mention about it. But I thought that was kind of a letdown. Like, yeah. Jesus, at least have him come out and the camera be on him and be like, "I'm here. I'm here to work. It's okay." Eric Bischoff is here. Yeah. What do we? What uh, we Colonel Robert Parker. At, at one point, at one point, he just goes, oh, "I was in meetings," and that's it. <laughs> Like, yeah, he said, I was in a lot of meetings, there was a lot of executive things with these people coming in, a lot of things executively had to be done, and I'm like, what, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? That's a poor excuse. After promising last week that he would be there. Right. Because I'll be there at Bash at the Beach. No, you won't. Um, I don't understand what the point of Robert Parker and um, uh, Sensational Sherry was, Sister Sherry. Yeah, I got nothing like, on that. Like, why, why they, I mean, other than... We haven't seen like them. the Nasty Boys, I guess? We, like, why would you help the Steiners? Uh, like, we, we haven't seen them since the failed wedding at whatever fuck pay-per-view that was. Was that World War Three? Whatever the fuck that was way yes. back when. That's the last time that we saw Colonel Robert Parker or Sister Sherry on this show, except that Colonel Robert Parker walked to the ring with one of the two losers who was only in that in a match on nitro so hall could come in and shut it down um there's been that's i've had nothing else from them at all for the past fucking three months and now suddenly i don't know uh that they're gonna buy harlem heat and they want to i don't fucking know anyway uh then we get more pyro for no reason i think this might actually be a disney thing though because it happens every week you you have a question yeah, did you happen to catch the Nasty Boy promo after the match? Uh, I don't know. Yes, that's actually what this is. Uh, Gene is in the ring with the Nasties. Uh, patience. Pyro. Uh, the pyro continues in the background, which, uh, as I said, Disney fireworks, not actually WCW. As Sags talks about change, Knobs says Hogan did nothing wrong, and they want to, and they, and that they want to be able to do what they want to do without repercussion, like the New World Order does. Just because you're friends with the guy doesn't mean... First of all, I like how they called the New World Order when Hogan called it the New World Organization last night. So apparently they know better than Hulk now. Well, he called it the New World Order the first time. And fucking, fucking Zabisco called it the New World Order two weeks ago. <laughs> Second of all, um, did you like how Sags was done talking? Gene went to Brian Knobs and Knobs goes, don't you, don't you take the mic away from him until he's done talking. And Gene goes, uh, but he's done talking. <laughs> hey. By the way, it's a very easy way to tell the difference between Sags and Knobs. Sags is the ugly one. Well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Back from break and enter Jim Powers and his Price is Right prize music. Jim Powers looks like Stevie Richards if Stevie Richards spent 40 hours a week in the gym. He's facing Flair for the U.S. title. Wait, I think I missed this match. It's not Scott Steiner. I Are you sure? I have it right down here. Scott Steiner versus Ric Flair. I was like, wow, he got changed pretty quick. Uh, Bischoff explains that he wasn't at the pay-per-view last night because of meetings. 
Powers almost appears to be a step behind Flair here. At one point, Flair had begged off into the corner and then had to, while begging off, motion for Powers to come towards him in the corner for the next spot. Later, we get your Flair top rope spot, and he was up top for a bit longer than he usually is, waiting for Powers to come over and chuck him off, which was also sloppy. Flair wins the match and retains the belt with the figure four leg lock. The horsemen come out to celebrate as we go to the replays. This was garbage. So, did you notice that Flair, that Jim Powers didn't chuck Flair off the turnbuckle? Flair jumped. Yeah, because he was Powers slow as like. Shit. Uh, also, I really don't understand what they're doing with the Horsemen at this point. So, we go to after the match. We go to Flair, Arn, Mongo, and the three women. Yeah. There's no fucking Chris Benoit. Yep. And I'm like, oh, he's probably over in Japan this week or something, because that's what he did in 1996. And then the very next match is a Chris Benoit match. Right. So, yeah, so we go to Gene in the aisle with the said horseman, minus Benoit. Now, Anderson talks about Hogan. He's uh, supposed to be a role model. Hogan is supposed to be a role model. Mongo yeah, mumbles something. We're allowed something. to be pieces of shit. You're supposed to be a role model. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mongo mumbles something, and Flair brags about his sexual prowess. So, typical horseman promo. Back from break, Eric is still sad. Heenan is confident. Up next, it's Craig versus Chris Benoit. Eric calls Benoit a Wolverine. Benoit locks Pittman in the crossface, and Teddy Long gets in the ring and demands that Randy Eller ring the bell. Randy is confused, but eventually does it. Weird finish. Not a good match. So, is it Craig? Is it Sergeant Craig? Is it Pitbull Pittman? Is it Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman? I'm confused. <laughs> it's Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman. The Pitbull. Pit, I don't fucking know. I call him Craig because <laughs> what fucking wrestler is named Craig? <laughs> and then again, no, like I said, name me, is name me one other wrestler named Craig. Nope, can't do it. Exactly. <laughs> Craig. And Vince. And then, like I said. And we wonder why Vince got rid of Antonio Cesaro or Alexander Russo. Fucking Craig! Alexander Russo? Is that Vince's brother? <laughs> I swear to God, I have a brother named Alexander. What the hell are you talking about? You said Russo. You didn't say Rusev. Said you said Russo. Russo. And you. you said Alexander Russo. I, his name was Alexander Rusev. There you go. Get that V in there. <laughs> That's what I said the first time. I will never. But mention, I will say that um, I will never mention that name on this podcast until I absolutely have to when he shows up on my goddamn TV, and then I might not do it then. We'll see what happens. Oh, anyway, uh, Craig, uh, back from break. It's Arn Anderson versus Sting. Arn asks for a handshake. Sting refuses. Heenan claims that in the lobby of his hotel and at the coffee shop, the only thing people were talking about was Hulk Hogan and WCW. Bullshit, Bobby. You're at fucking Disney World. <laughs> Uh, Eric says we may have visitors tonight and then sends us to break. We get one more fucking Glacier promo, uh, and Eric tells us that a black limo has pulled up outside. We get a shot of the limo shortly thereafter. Bischoff surmises that they must be watching the show from inside the limo. No one has any idea who is in this limo. Who the fuck do you think is in the limo? But Bischoff also questions how they get cable in the limo. Like, he's really confused on that. It's like, what? <laughs> Uh, they run a closed circuit TV from the production truck because the limo's been there all fucking afternoon. 
Uh, Nick Patrick has sweat through his referee shirt. Uh, Nash, Nash and Hall emerge from the limo and begin walking towards the show. They are blocked by security. Macho Man appears from nowhere. Uh, Arn tries to take advantage of this distraction, but gets locked in the Scorpion Deathlock and taps out. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Bischoff makes it a point to be like, they have stopped the match because the outsiders have arrived. And then Arn Anderson tries to jump Sting, and they're like, wait, nope, nope, the match still going. Yeah. This is exactly what happened last week when the fucking tag titles changed hands. Uh, Sting and Macho stare down the outsiders as they get escorted out of the building. Gene is in the... Well, it's not a building, really, but the... Gene is in the ring with Sting. How does Sting feel about Hulk Hogan? Uh, Sting says he isn't surprised, but he is surprised. (laughs) All right. Uh, Sting says he should have known since Hogan didn't travel with the boys. Sting goes on to deliver grade school insults with crazy eyes behind them. Uh, Gene then goes to Macho. Macho straight up calls him Hollywood Hulk Hogan and then rambles like a crazy person because he's Macho Man Randy fucking Savage. I, I like that, for the record. I like that he called him Hollywood Hulk Hogan because I thought that was a nice way of, of setting up that name, even if it was done unintentionally. And second, I like that he said, what I could do to you I can't say on TV, but take the worst thing and multiply it by nine million! <laughs> Gene uh, then go. No, we did that. Uh, back from break, a break, and Gene is with the outsiders as the fans file out behind them. Nash says they proved themselves last night. Then he talks about Hogan and promises that Hogan will be here next week. So you remember way back in the show when uh, when Shivani told ever told told you to call everybody you know who may know who Hulk Hogan is and have them watch the show tonight. Yeah, Hogan's not fucking here. Um, uh, Hall says they should be welcomed with open arms and says Luger didn't get hurt. He fainted at the sight of them. Uh, we then go to another break. Uh, back to the desk for the wrap-up. Bischoff finally gives us the footage, a.k.a. still photos, of last night's main event. Heenan is pissed. Eric tells us to buy the encore one more time, and we go off the air. Uh, I feel underwhelmed by this episode. I think with the huge shock last night that I was expecting more here... Uh, I was certainly expecting more out of the NWO than the appearance in the than than one appearance in the last 15 minutes of the show. Um, We had a good opener with the cruiserweight title changing hands. The other cruiserweight match between Eddie Guerrero and Psychosis was good, but the rest of the matches weren't all that spectacular. I don't think anyone thought that Jim Powers would take the U.S. belt off of Ric Flair after 24 hours, or that the Nasty Boys would be the contenders for the tag team titles. Um, Sting and Anderson could have been so much more, but really just felt like a vehicle to get us to Hall and Nash showing up. And I think, like I said on on a previous episode of this uh, of this show, tonight was really a tonight tonight was really a poochie night. Uh, tonight was really really heavy on the poochie quotient. Where uh, for those of you who who have seen The Simpsons, remember Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie. That's HQ. And uh, and. Uh, Homer's decision that uh, when Poochie's off screen, everyone should be asking, where's Poochie? <laughs> Hogan is Poochie, is what I'm saying. Um, what did you think of this, uh, of the of, uh, of the main event and the episode as a whole? All right, this was a really big fucking disappointment for me. Um, for some reason, I had thought that this was the episode of Nitro that I remember back from when I was 14 years old, when Hogan is dressed in all black and he's wearing, uh, you know, black bandana and he's going off about why he, he turned heel. 
And when I and I'm waiting like the whole time, and I'm looking at the at the time clock on the network, like, oh, there's only seven minutes left. When are they gonna get the Hogan promo in? And all like literally, when I finally saw Hall and Nash being interviewed by Gene, it, it made me realize that Hogan wasn't there. Yep, that's uh, <laughs> and I fe- that's next week. <laughs> I feel like every single person who watched that live was like, well, where the fuck was Hulk Hogan? Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, not to mention that Sting and Anderson could have been built as a big deal, and they mentioned it at, what, 9.38? Like, I didn't know that match was even happening tonight. Maybe they mentioned it on WCW Saturday night, but I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. So the episode felt very anticlimactic after all of that, you know, great stuff that happened at Bash of the Beach. I'm sure it was done by design to kind of, you know, stretch things out, and now everybody's going to tune in next week because now you know Hogan's going to be there. <sighs> but for this particular episode, it just, you know, it was just a letdown, man. Yeah. No, I'll definitely, I'll definitely agree with that. Um, Cage Match has this episode at a whopping 7.36 out of 10 uh, over there. Again, um, I think that's more uh, the shock value than the actual show itself. I would not give this show a seven. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it, it was definitely, a, 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 a this, this episode of Nitro was to pimp next week's episode of Nitro. Really? Um, I will say they did a nice job of making it seem like everybody was affected by Hogan. You know, you had Mysterio commenting on it. You had Arn Anderson commenting on it. You had a lot of people, uh, Jimmy Hart, the Giant, uh, just people that were like, I can't believe what Hulk Hogan did, which, yeah. which I thought was great. Poochie. Poochie. Yeah, 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 there you go. That's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, so the show pulled in a 3.5 TV rating, which is fairly standard for them. So they didn't really get that much of a bump from the Bash at the, from the, bash at the Beach. Uh, meanwhile, over on Raw, we are two weeks old from Green Bay, Wisconsin. We open the show with an announcement from Gorilla Monsoon that the Ultimate Warrior is indefinitely suspended for no-showing events over the weekend. And then in a classic, well, we already taped this, so let's make it work somehow, Gorilla then says that despite his indefinite suspension, he'll still wrestle tonight. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> uh, that is your opening contest this evening. Ultimate Warrior defeats Owen, by dis- Owen Hart by disqualification. Uh, then... Uh, uh, in your reason we decided to still show this match move of the night gets the shit beaten out of him by Camp Cornette. Warrior gets carried off by referees during the break. Get out. Uh, in WWF Studios, Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson talk about their mystery third man, who will be here later tonight. Brian Pillman tries to uh, hit Savio Vega with a crutch, but gets stopped by some unknown man in a tan suit. Uncle Zeb inadvertently costs Justin Hawk Bradshaw his match against Savio. There was a party outside the Meadowlands and also in New Haven, Connecticut, and also in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, Bulldog and Vader defeat the Godwins by pinfall, and it's finally time to reveal Sean and Ahmed's third partner after the break. Their partner is Psycho Sid. Uh, this is the return of Psycho Sid, apparently. Uh, this episode of Raw has a 4.0 on cage match, received a 2.5 TV rating. Psycho Sid is no Hulk Hogan, I guess. Uh, which would you rather watch, Raw or this episode of Nitro? Uh, well, actually, I watched both back in the day, and I remember I kept switching back and forth because I wanted to know who Sean and Ahmed's partner was, too. <laughs> and I do give them credit because at the reveal of their partner, 
all you see is the guy's back, and it's like this massive, like giant guy. And then he turns around. Oh my god, it's Hulk Sid. Hogan. <laughs> and he wasn't that orange. <laughs> and he turns around and it's Sid, and I'm like, oh shit, Sid is back. Sid Justice. Of course, they didn't call him that, but uh, it was uh, a good substitute, I guess, for the warrior. Uh, and boo on warrior. Seriously, you just came back, and I fucking that all up again. Yep. Surprise, he's an asshole. Anyway, that does it for July 7th and 8th of 1996, so let's move on to everyone's favorite segment, the plugs. Uh, Where can people find you online, uh, Mr. Sal? Well, I am at WrestleMania Sal on Twitter. Uh, When this episode drops, it will be dropping one day after episode 14 of WrestleMania Salvation gets released. And that was a fun episode recapping uh, WrestleMania 14 live from Boston. Sure it was. I begged my dad. I begged my dad to get tickets to WrestleMania 14. Uh, Yeah, I was dying to go as well, but unfortunately... Didn't happen. Didn't happen. What was your first event? What was your first WBF event? Like, well, that depends, because uh, I went to house shows before I went to Raw's, and then I went to Raw's before I went to pay-per-views. I think That's my why first I said event. <laughs> uh, my first house show was probably right around the that 1998 era. I think as a as a consolation prize to um, to not going to WrestleMania 14, <laughs> I got to go to a Saturday event where Shotgun Saturday Night. No, no, no. It was like it was like during the day, and I do remember Steve Austin being the champion, and I think he fought Owen Hart in the main event. Nice. So that must have probably been the lead up to SummerSlam then. Or no, that was that was '96. So that's fun, because he said. Uh... Anyway, never mind. Um, my first event uh, again. I begged my dad to get tickets to WrestleMania because it was in Boston. It didn't happen. I didn't get to see uh, Mike Tyson turn on DX. I didn't get to see Steve Austin win the WWF Championship. I did, however, get to see King of the Ring 2000. Uh, that was my first event, featuring the hardcore evening gown match between Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. Um, but, uh, Wait, King of the Ring 2000? Yep. Was the main event of that The Rock and... Uh, Possibly, God, you're gonna make two me- partners versus Vince, Shane, and Triple H, and The Rock won the WWF title that night. I honestly don't remember. It's been fucking 18 years, so I really don't remember. God, it's been 18 years, Jason. Uh, I don't. I, I, don't I know think it was, was because I was at that event and we were all. So, if I remember this correctly, The Rock and his tag team partners versus. Vince, Shane, and Triple H, and their tag team titles are on the line, and Triple H's WF Championship was on the line, and Rock won. And I remember, like, popping like crazy, because that's when Rock had just turned face. Maybe. Well, no, not just I, turned face, but he'd been I, chasing the title for a while. I'd look it up, but I'm playing HQ. Um, I was trying to, and I got distracted <laughs> and lost, so... Um, yeah, what I, what I remember is my, it was, it was my, it wasn't actually my dad that took, that took me. It was my uncle. That was my high school graduation present was, uh, was King of the Ring tickets. We were, uh, in the luge, as I recall. Uh, I don't think we were on the floor. I think we were in the luge and, um, I took way too many fucking signs cause it was my first event. So I made every, <laughs> I, I made every fucking sign that popped into my head. 
Did you really? Yeah. I got on TV, though, um, with one of my signs. King uh, actually commented on it, but I, I, it got to a point where people behind me were throwing things at me because I had a sign for, like, every fucking match, and people were getting annoyed. Um, but again, I was 17. What the fuck did I know? Um, yeah, and that, star- that started a long tradition of going to uh, going to every televised event at the uh, at the Fleet Center. Uh, that continued. Uh... And for the record, I did look it up on Wikipedia. It was like I said, Vince, Triple H, and Shane versus The Rock and Taker and Kane. Nice. They had just become the Brothers of Destruction at that point. Rock won the WF title by pinning Vince because that was the stip on the match. You could <laughs> pin anybody. Nice. Uh, that was a fun night because the crowd popped huge when Rock won the title. All right, and I think that was the first time. Yeah, that was the first time he won the title as a babyface. So we were there. We were there. We were. And you were that fucking guy with the signs, <laughs> throwing shit out. And I just kidding. and I just got kicked out of HQ because it froze and didn't pop up the question for me to answer. Um, okay. Yeah. So resume salvation. Check that out right here on the rundown feed. Uh, we've had enough. That's happened the last. Why does this always happen when you're on the show? We suddenly get nostalgia during the plugs during the plug section. Last time it was fucking was a blockbuster video. Last time, anyway, uh, you can see me live and in person this Saturday in Winchendon, Massachusetts, for LPW Toy Town Showdown. You can then see me next Saturday in Newbury, Massachusetts, with APW for Fully Loaded, and the Saturday after that, June second, I'll be back in Beverly for Elkmania's North Shore Rumble. So come and check out all of those shows. Uh, if you enjoy our escapades here on the Rundown feed, uh, please consider making a donation to said feed. You can make a one-time donation by going to paypal.me slash rundownwrestling, uh, or you can become a regular monthly donor at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. Five bucks a month gets you early access and special bonus episodes. Ten bucks a month gets all of that, plus the chance to co-host on the show of your choice here on the Rundown feed, except for the sit-down, if that ever comes back once Jason is not busy. Um <clears throat> And before we wrap things up for good, I do want to make a programming note. Um, at least for the next couple of months or so, uh, I'm going to scale back on Nitromania just a little bit. I'm going to I'm uh, I'm going to promise at least two episodes a month, um, but it's probably not going to be an every week thing just because I'm very busy with all these shows that are coming up every week and I just haven't had time to write episodes. So I, I will I will promise two episodes a month. So I will promise probably at least every other week. But um, for at least a little while here, we're gonna we're gonna drop down the release schedule a little bit just so I can get caught up and get uh, get some episodes backlogged and not be writing these goddamn things like the the Wednesday night before I record on Thursday. So um, that's just a heads up on that. So don't get uh, don't get scared if suddenly there's not an episode next week or there's not an episode the week after. I do have next week's episode written, so next week will probably come right out. So, but uh, from there we'll kind of have to we'll just kind of play it by ear and see when. Uh, when these episodes will come out, but uh, that is it for speaking of which, us. yeah, go ahead. Uh, I would also like to just take a quick moment to uh, apologize for taking so long to get out episodes of WrestleMania Salvation. Um, this particular episode took a long time just to go through and to record and to you know write the episode. For some reason, every time I I tried to set aside time, uh, it always got screwed up. So I will try to. Get episodes up a little bit more frequently. Uh, you know, it's difficult. We all have real lives, and the summer's coming. So we all do our best here at the Rundown Feed. Jason and Troy chug out episodes every week of the Rundown proper, so at least there's that to listen to, as long as you don't listen on Stitcher. But anyway, 
<laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for any of the patrons that support us and any of the people who download us. We really do appreciate the support. Yes, indeed. And that's why I take the little extra bit of time every week to, to record that uh, little patron-only bonus intro to these Nitromania episodes before I put them up on uh, on Patreon there. So it's five bucks a month. Give up one donkey's run and you'll, you can... You can help us out. All that money goes directly back into the show. It pays for uh, the Podomatic hosting. Um, we pay all at once one big lump sum at the... Actually, it's coming up in August, I think, is when that renewal is. Uh, to have the amount of storage that we have in order to have such a backlog of episodes for you. And to be able to keep uh, you know, the, those episodes up there and to be able to post you know, multiple episodes a week. Uh, so it's not just... Uh, you know the, the most recent episode of each show on the feed, so we want to we want to keep that going, and that uh, that money that you that you donate does go right back into that. So it doesn't get uh, it doesn't go to, to random places. Troy doesn't use it to buy uh, porn. Uh, not that he has to. No, he buy. uses his own money for that. Good for him. <laughs> or he just finds it on the internet when someone says there's a leaked picture of Nikki Bella. Hey, now. Inside jokes about current events when we're recording this episode. And that does it for episode number 43. Next time, the first Nitro appearance of Evil Hulk Hogan. Uh, So until then, thank you, Sal, for showing up this week. And I mean that sincerely. (laughs) You're welcome. And it's been a blast. And I will talk to all of you next time right here. Sal is leaving again. He's leaving again. He's leaving again. I'm gonna have to cut this whole part out. Cut it out. Whole part out. Cause he's left and he's not here and he's talking and he's left the door open and there's a whole lot of trophies on the wall and medals and bullshit and all of that crap along with a messy desk and a bowl that used to have ice cream. And, um...